This is Karen, and I love Schitt's Creek. This is Jenna, and I love sitting in hot springs. This is Naki, and I love Lin-Manuel Miranda. Welcome to Working Folk Podcast, where we talk about work, life, and everything in between. Oh my god, I can't believe I've never thought of that I love before. (laughs) I love him too. He's awesome. I've had it ready for weeks. Oh, you're so prepared. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love this. He's so good this about you my dear friends yeah we're here today we have another bonus interview today we're with my friend naki uh can we say that your real name is nicole yeah that's totally fine why do you go by naki and not nicole or nikki um, uh nikki i will never go by that is the only name that i will correct people like it's not nikki it's nicole and i don't know why i have such an aversion to it i just do no offense to any of the nikki's out there um, so Naki, years and years and years and years ago, I lived in Arizona and I had a friend who is Samoan and he could not say Nicole. He always said Nakol. And somehow that ended up morphing into Naki and I absolutely loved it. And it's followed me many, many years <laughs> down the road, like literally about 15 to 20, 15 to 18 years ago, I got that nickname. And it's traveled from Arizona to Texas to Idaho. Dude, I love that so much. <laughs> yeah, that's such a... I, I love that Naki. It reminds me of so Nako and Medicine for the People. There's a, guy na- there's a guy named Nako. You're like the feminine version, which is a great thing. Yes, I'm Naki. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's a good connection, too, because she's a musician. Yeah, Naki's that's right. Naki's a musician, too. Do you do that professionally? Music? No, unless you count me and my friend <laughs> gathered around GarageBand <laughs> uh, making podcast intro music. That's as professional as it gets. Yeah, like the podcast intro music you hear here on Working Folk Podcast. Naki and our other friend Lane made that music for us, per my request. When I barely knew her, I was like, I just met you, but you're a musician. And I need you. <laughs> Please and make it just me sounded music. fun. It was, it was something that was bite-sized enough that it didn't feel like a chore. It was fun the entire way through. Whew. Except for the pressure of, oh my God, I hope she thinks this is good enough. <laughs> I love it. Do you love it? I do. I love it. I feel like... <laughs> you don't get to have a different answer in front of me. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, honestly, it just, I love guitar. Like anytime you just put a little do, 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 it's instant relaxing. I love it. I love that you decided, Karen, that you decided to put that in there because there's so many podcasts that don't have it and it does feel like it's missing a layer. So I love that it adds that extra layer. So profesh. Mm Mm-hmm. That's me. Yep. Professional. (laughs) Left and right. (laughs) So professional. (laughs) As we're drinking beers out of straw right now. (laughs) I mean, you know, if it was unprofessional, they'd hear us chugging them. It's fine. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear that loud gulp. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. 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 There's probably some people. There's a weirdo out there that wants to hear it. (laughs) I have a friend that does a podcast and they start every single podcast with what they're drinking and you can hear the ice and the like, the mix going. Yeah. 
And it's kind of a nice way, 10 minutes, but it's like 10 minutes of talking about their gin. And it's like, okay, we're too much. It's a lot. It's Unless a lot of gin. sponsored. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Are you getting that gin for free mm-hmm. from directly from Ryan Reynolds? Otherwise, <laughs> I don't need to hear about it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. Enough about me. I feel like. Yeah. I want to ask, I want, I want to ask the question. Do it. What do you do? Naki, what do you do? <laughs> I manage a 911 dispatch center here locally. So any, in, in the area where we dispatch any call for police, fire, or paramedics, we handle those phone calls. So I, I don't have the exciting job that everybody immediately gravitates toward, which is doing the actual call taking and dispatching. I did that for eight years. But I, two years ago, ended up promoting into the manager position. And so I have a very different kind of chaos to manage. So I have, um, I think I have around 55 employees now that I technically manage, though I manage through other people. And it's, it's a lot of fun. It can be incredibly chaotic, but... It's a good kind of chaos, in my opinion. Yeah, it's that would fun to manage people. It's <laughs> <laughs> like my worst no, nightmare. <laughs> that's exhausting. Uh, <laughs> managing chaos is fun. Oh, so, okay, uh, like okay. when shit hits the fan, it's really fun to. It just I I see it as a puzzle, and you see who needs to go where, like fit this piece here, fit this one there. The actual management of people is fulfilling but it's exhausting mm. and my boss says if you aren't exhausted from employee management you're not doing it right really that that sounds like a form of abuse <laughs> <laughs> i mean i mean because seriously like if someone's gonna say you're not exhausted are they asking you to walk away? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I just, no, she's asking me to be engaged. Okay. Uh, so exhausting in that way because you are engaged with your people and you aren't just, you know, a name and a chain of command. Uh, you actually stay aware of what's going on. You are invested in your people and their growth and keeping them accountable and when you, when you approach management in that way where you really do care about your people and you care that you're, they are happy, you care that they are healthy in all of the ways that they can be healthy, it can be really exhausting, <laughs> especially for an introvert. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, engaging with people, especially since you're engaging with people who probably have gone through on the job some of the worst, most traumatic things you know, yeah. that they've ever had to go through. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, you're, like, dealing with people who have just dealt with people. Yes, and they don't always... I mean, obviously, nobody calls 911 on a good day. <laughs> and <laughs> Thanks for like, doing your goodness job, guys. Hey, yeah. just wanted to say good job. I'm having a great day, and I thought you should know. Um, <laughs> I'm going to do that. Wait, would I no, do No, you can't trouble? do that. Don't do it on 911. Oh, dang it. Okay. <laughs> I mean... Nobody's really going to yell at you. Okay. But don't do it on 911. Okay. Just kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Just kidding. But yeah, people um, are typically calling in some kind of crisis. 
And it may not be something that you would define as a crisis, and, but you, you can't let that dictate how you treat those people. And the one thing I ask my dispatchers to be is a kind problem solver. And because at the, at the root of everything with dispatching, I feel like it's just a job built around problem solving and connecting people to the help that they need. I mean, we, it is a very, um, it's a very unique job in that you manage a crisis that you never lay eyes on. Um, so the, the entire story that you are getting is through the eyes of someone on scene who may or may not be very panicked. So your information that you take and relay to the people who are responding on scene is only as good as the person who's giving it to you. And so there, there is this really interesting dynamic of I have no control over what's going on, but you are the person who's talking to me. And through you, I have to establish control of as much as we can of what's going on. And so it is a really interesting way to problem solve and a really interesting way to just um, really connect people to the resource that can get on scene and handle that emergency firsthand. It is a job that is unlike any other, in my opinion. Like it takes a really unique set of skills to be a dispatcher. Absolutely. I feel like you start a story and you never get to see how it ends. Yeah, that's that exactly drive, That would drive me crazy. <laughs> that's one of the things yeah. when we interview for this position, we ask them, how, how would you handle the emotional and mental aspect of never knowing the end result of a call? Like we basically use the analogy of it's like reading the first chapter of a book it gets taken away, you're handed another book. You read the first chapter, it's taken away, you're handed another book. And so doing that 30 to 40 times in a oh, day. Oh, hell no. <laughs> That's, that feels, I can't even your, not finish oh, a book busy it, that I don't is. like. I have to finish every book. I don't want to, I have to know what happens. <laughs> not the job for you. Do you get any kind of follow-up? Are you able to you know i mean if that is like something that's really haunting you or something yes in that yeah position. um there there are calls where and and the people in the field whether that's an officer a paramedic or a firefighter have really gotten really good about those really weird calls where you know you send them to it and you just say i don't really know what's going on, but I my gut doesn't like what's going on. Um, you know, they've learned to trust when a dispatcher sends them to a call like that. And so when it's odd or when it's just like a total shit show, mm -hmm. um, they've been pretty good about like calling in and being like, hey, I thought you might want to know how that call ended up or like really hard medical calls. Um, you know, we've had dispatchers who, you know, they are helping that person on scene do CPR on someone. And it's always really nice to know, like, as much as they can give you an end result, because like, a medic is going to get on scene and transport, but even they don't find out if that patient ends up walking out of the hospital most of the time. True. But anything that you just feel abnormally invested in you can usually get some kind of feedback on how it ended even if you don't get a final final result 
you can at least get the story of what was really going on and and just get as much closure as, closure as you can. Wow. The more I talk about it, the more insane I realize it is. <laughs> yeah. Dang. So working with dispatchers, dispatchers, I the dispatchers I've known are usually yeah. so... Inc- Jenna was a cop. I remember. <laughs> yeah, it was eons ago <laughs> in a very small county, very far away. <laughs> and it was only in the summertime. So it was it was nice. I got to just be the boat cop. You know, like I didn't have any domestics. Hardly just any, chicken chokers. Hardly any, I was going to say... <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't remember the exact term, but oh yeah, I forget that was out. The chicken joker. Yeah, that's on the podcast, my friend. I know you told that story. I, I did. I and shared it. There's. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of naked people. Like being a boat cop, everyone's naked. I have too. Sure. Oh wait, not a boat. Like cop, in no. person. Like yeah. in person. Mm-hmm. Like ma'am, ma'am. She's like sleeping. Ma'am. <laughs> People can see you. Get your clothes on. (laughs) Scuttle away. (laughs) Get the boat horn. (laughs) You know, there was one time I came across this lady on the rocks, sunbathing, completely nude. But she was like a weird color. She was kind of yellowish. I was like, I hope she's not dead. I hope she's not dead. I hope she's not dead. And she was just, you know, totally conked out. (laughs) <laughs> fully in the buff dude i called 911 on a guy that was laying out in nowhere in the middle of a like uh what's it called in between roads where there's like a, a grassy patch yeah like just totally passed out in a median he was clothed <laughs> but i could not tell if he was alive or not and as we have established i am not good in emergencies <laughs> so i did not go investigate i was just like I'm going to call some experts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, hello, 911. There is a man that may or may not be dead. Can you please check on him? <laughs> and they did. And I drove back by a little while later and there were some nice police officers talking to him. He was sitting up. I think he was possibly inebriated. But it was, he was in, it was like full high noon sun and he was literally like burning like his his skin was so red i was like uh he's that's not okay but i didn't know what to do so that was the right thing to do was it yeah absolutely yeah well being checked right there okay okay so i have a question What's the sense of humor like around in your department? Mm-hmm. Fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard you guys use cuss words. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I, I felt okay yeah, that. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is. Um, I mean, I won't tell some of the worst jokes that I've ever made, but because um, <laughs> I don't want you guys getting comments about the jokes that I have made, but they are. It's, it's definitely a dark sense of humor for sure. See, that's where I would fit in. I you could, would. I could do that. I could do that part of it. I mean, that's what, that's what I remember being a cop is you you have to totally compartmentalize yourself oh, from for the emergency. Sure. Yeah. So you end up being a dark, twisted, dark, twisted soul. Hmm. I yeah. think most people come that way. And that's why they do well. <laughs> <laughs> that's how they get hired in the first place. Yes. <laughs> I, have, uh, I have interviewed people who, I mean, it's a, it's an important job and it's also important to get the right people in the door and so I have interviewed a gal who asked me like if you were to hire me what is 
what would be your major concerns? And I was like, nothing in terms of your performance, but I worry this job would kill your soul. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I, I owed it to her. I feel like to say that because she'd find herself down the road <laughs> with a dead soul <laughs> 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 or uh, just a lot of anxiety and, I mean, it's a it's a job. I think any job in law enforcement, not law enforcement alone, but that is something that I can speak to. Any job in law enforcement really has that potential to um, really send you down that road of um, really high stress. And if you don't deal with stress well, and like those are all questions we ask people who potentially will work for us like how do you handle stress what do you do to cope with that because like yeah it's a it's a job with a lot of high stress but it's really a roller coaster of those things because you know I remember specifically like the craziest call I've ever taken um the call right before it I was taking like a noise complaint and then I was like hold on let me put you on hold for a 911 and I answer 911, and literally the first words out of this person's mouth were, yeah, we're all shot up in here. And I, oh, like, no. it was that casual. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, what the hell did I just pick up? You know, I don't think it's actually a shooting. And so I say, what do you mean you're all shot up in here? And, and they immediately, like, just lose their shit. And it was a double homicide. And <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So you really mean you guys are all shot up in there. Oh my so gosh. it really is that roller coaster of like a very high intense call and kind of a mediocre one. And then you'll take a dog barking complaint or like, do you have the number to Idaho power? Like we've, like we've had people call in and ask what time it is. I'm like, <laughs> they call 911 sure. to ask that or are you, do you answer the non-emergency calls too? We answer both. Oh. Um, so I have had those calls on both of those lines. Oh I'm gosh. like, I'm pretty sure the phone you're calling me from will tell you exactly <laughs> what time it is. <laughs> oh my gosh. But, um, uh, I just never had it in me to be one of those dispatchers who was like, ma'am, this is not what 911 is for, you mm. know? Uh, I was like, well, it's 2.14 in the morning. <laughs> like, is there anything else I can help you with? Like, nope, thanks. Like, okay. So, wow. I mean, there are situations where, of course, you pull somebody off of that 911 line and transfer them into the non-emergency number, but I very rarely felt the need to educate hmm. in air quotes <laughs> condescendingly educate someone on the use of 911 wow. yeah that i mean that's true especially i feel like right now we're starting to feel a little like everyone's feeling a little lonely and like <laughs> maybe that is a, like a a call of like what time is it just so i can talk to another human yeah to get through i don't know you just don't know what the story behind the sure. story behind the story yeah yeah, and that's part of one of the things that is important because it is so easy to be annoyed at someone who calls in so amped up over something that you think is so trivial. You know, like noise complaints are a great example of like, so it's noisy, so what? But, you know, I don't know if that's a brand new mom who is like getting the only two hour window of sleep that she's going to get and, you know... When they call in, like, I've got a kid who's trying to sleep. Um, 
you never know what the story behind the story behind the story is and like why they're so stressed out. Like they've waited five days to call over the same problem and now they're just at their wits end. Like it's just, it's not our place to define what an emergency is or what a crisis is for somebody else. So you've been doing this in either the dispatch or the management role for 10, 10 years, 10 years. What did you want to do when you were a kid? What were you, when you were a <laughs> child, what did you want to not dispatch. picture yourself doing? Um, this is actually a hilarious spectrum of things at one point that I'm going to let you finish drinking that before. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No spit takes uh, in here. <laughs> is, um, I wanted to either be a lawyer. Okay. A comedian. Uh-huh. Or a judge. Wow. And I am none of those things. <laughs> Though I'm adjacent. I'm law adjacent. Yeah. I'm hilarious. Yes. And I'm judgy. So... <laughs> <laughs> So oh in a way, I am all of those things. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious! That. Like Judge Judy, does she count as like? I mean, that I kind think of she a, technically counts. She your inspiration? <laughs> <laughs> no, I honestly, I, I think it was Barbara Jordan who was my inspiration for moving into the world of law. But clearly, I didn't follow her path. No. No. No, but it's a strong it's strong women though. Yeah. Like you think about those are strong those are strong roles. That's not that's not something like, oh I wanted to, you know, play with horses. You don't think about it, but especially women in comedy, like until twenty twenty. <laughs> I mean that it's a boys club. Oh yeah. So I mean finding women that have been able to actually make it in that genre and get the respect and get the money and the yeah. at Netflix specials and all that. I mean, it's taken a long ass time. So yeah, make it in what is a boys club and to be able to do it more so on their terms. Mm -hmm. Like my favorite uh, comedian is Hannah Gadsby. Mm -hmm. And I, her specials are amazing and she uses her platform in so many ways. Like one, she's autistic hmm. and, um, and she, uh, her most recent special called Douglas is a, like, it's just great because she's like, this is a show about autism. And, <laughs> uh, and she just performs flawlessly. And I get like, everybody has their own sense of humor, but she's able to do it without, I feel like a lot of female comics resort to that incredibly crude comedy. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Like that, like that has its, that that has its laughing points it has its comedic points but sometimes it just feels like on the outside looking in of course I don't know any of the background I don't know that story but it feels like a struggle to be relevant in a way that is not organic or authentic to who they are now that is me potentially projecting that's totally my take on that but I love that Hannah has done it on her own terms like it's like a pun filled show you know and it's just she's hilarious the way our previous special like people you know she used it as a platform for raising awareness about violence against the lgbtq community and tells her story of getting her ass completely beat mm -hmm. by a man who realized that she was a lesbian and and she's just funny because like she addresses <laughs> she addresses her haters and 
she says, um, she's like, can you believe they called that last show a lecture? Like, you want a lecture? I'll give you a fucking lecture. And she, like, puts a PowerPoint up on the screen (laughs) behind her and literally uh, creates a comedy show built around lecturing on certain points, like historical accuracy and things like that. And so... It's it's smart comedy. It's insane how smart it is. If you watch her special Nanette, that's the one that she addresses the violence against the LGBTQ community. So just have a tissue for that one for mm-hmm. sure. Um, Douglas is the more recent one, and uh, it's amazing. It's not as heavy, but um, it's hilarious. It's mm-hmm. such smart humor. I love that you're like get a tissue, but it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's when it's you know comedy. someone has yeah. like uh, that entertainer slash storyteller slash you know just a uh, like a revolutionary sort yeah. of way of um, speaking into a community mm-hmm. when they can do all that. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm looking into that. I don't think you'll be disappointed. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually not disappointed. No. Yeah. In female comedians, because you know how hard they've had to oh, come yeah. just to get where they are. Yeah, like there's so much, there's so much about you know being part of the boys club mm-hmm. that you've got to be like six or seven times better than than the guy who's just up there making fart jokes. Yeah, seriously. So, um, so you went from wanting to be a lawyer or a comedian or a judge <laughs> to working in dispatch. <laughs> Is are you doing what you love? Is that... That's a complicated answer. Um, I did tell Karen, if you guys would have asked me this question on Thursday, I would have... <laughs> we would have been having a very different conversation. <laughs> I was fed up. Um, but, so, there are elements of it that I love. Like, I enjoy my job, and it's very fulfilling. Um, it is not the thing that I want to do for the rest of my life. Uh, but I think there are ways to incorporate what I truly love into the job. And so, um, you know, what, if I, if I could do anything, it would be this, it would be, I always say podcast famous, I'd get podcast famous, but really just having, you know, good, meaningful conversations centered around topics that matter. And in a way that people can just, engage and connect with the world a little differently, um, get people to think about things, uh, make those, um, just make those important connections, whether, you know, when I, when I think in terms of making connections, like, yes, that's person to person, that's a person to a resource that they might need. Um, but really where it comes into the thing that I truly love, it's connecting a person to that pathway to being the best version of themselves. And then like my favorite of course is going to be the connection that doesn't require a different person uh, or a second person, which is <laughs> engaging with your environment, like tech uh, in terms of what you read text to self connections and taking the things that you read or the things that you're watching or, you know, the environment around you, whatever that looks like, um, you know, Taking and paying attention to what you respond to, whether that's positively or negatively, like whatever that emotional response in you, pay attention to it and start asking questions like, why does this matter so much to me? Because I think when you dig into those things, you discover the things that really and truly matter to you. And if you 
do work centered around the things that really and truly matter to you, like if you can find ways to incorporate that into what you do, then I think you make it a lot easier to love what you do no matter what it is. I love that. And I feel like there's a there's a lot to unpack out of what you just said. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like I, I feel like some most of us are just barely on the surface of like digging just a little bit down to like, what does this really mean to me? Why am I getting the signal in my body? Mm-hmm. Like I think 2020 has just put all of our little antennas into like high frequency mode. Yeah. Like we don't know what the heck's going on in our bodies. We've all been stuck with ourselves for a year. Yeah. <laughs> it's like either dig into it or do what you can to distract yourself from it. Yeah. Try not to get too bad of coping mechanisms yeah. during this time. <laughs> <laughs> so Thursday, you felt like quitting. So how is your work-life balance? Um. Okay. Well, first I have to... I... Especially how you guys had that conversation around work-life balance, what it means, how you define it. I think there is that traditional, I really liked how you, Karen, defined it in that it's two of these things that pull on your attention and time. Uh, And you have obligations to both. Uh, And balancing those moments where maybe work demands more of your attention for a time. You know, for me, as somebody who is in management, like, I don't leave work, and then I don't worry about work until I'm in the building the next day. Like, I, She has two phones. Yes, I have two phones, because... She's actually one of those people that... The work a, phone is forced on me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hate that so, so much for you. I do, too. <laughs> oh. uh, and so, it is, you know, in terms of that traditional sense of work-life balance, it is figuring out... You know, when I am at home, what can wait and what can't? If it's a phone call, obviously it can't wait. They're calling me for a reason. And I don't get a lot of phone calls off hours, honestly. And I, and because of that, I know when they do call, like, okay, like, stop what I'm doing and answer this because they, they genuinely need help at this point. With emails, like, I will kind of scan what comes in in terms of a title and if it doesn't seem urgent I'm not going to check it um and texts I usually I usually check those but it is but on the flip side I have had moments where I'm at work and things happen at home like last week with the winds my fence blew over you know it's like hey I'm gonna have to run home and you know figure out uh like a quick fix for this uh I I'll work from home and or you know a couple weeks ago I had standing water in my kitchen like hey I'm gonna have to work from home so I can be there for the dude who's gonna come fix this for me but how I really define work-life balance is far more conceptual I guess and that I ask with anything that I approach which yes my job and the work that I do but you know this will sound familiar to you but how much work does this take and how much life does it give? And and if there is a disparity in how much dedicated effort and concentration and just attention I'm having to give to something and it doesn't feed energy, doesn't give me life, then maybe I should rethink that thing. Like whenever I asked Karen to be a part of my podcast, I said that we have two roles. 
The only two rules are this has to give us life and we have to walk away being proud of what we did. When I reached out to Lane to do the podcast intro music, I was like, hey, there are only two rules. This process has to give us life. It can't just feel like a chore. And when we walk away, we have to be proud of what we we did. And so I really look at work-life balance in that way. Like how much work does it take? And when I look at the amount of energy and life it gives, is it worth it? And there's the mic drop, right? <laughs> <laughs> Throw the headset. Brilliant, no. <laughs> right? It is the best. That is the absolute best definition of work-life balance I've ever heard of and thought about. Because it is, especially, I think now, 2020 did it a lot to us. I think a lot of people who did have jobs that were very much just go to work, do your job, come home, yeah. be at home found a lot of that meshing together in different ways because they were forced to be at home. And when you're at home and your kids are at home and you've got to do, you know, different things at the same time, you've got to be able to figure out how to do it. So I think the traditional concept of like work stays at work, home life is home life is it's, I mean, it's not a thing, right? It isn't. And I don't know if it's ever going to be again, truly the way that like, you know, 1950s Mad Men <laughs> thought of it. Right. I don't know. I never... Actually, that's a show I haven't watched. <laughs> but that that concept of... Yeah, it's too much work. I don't have the energy for that. Yeah. And I know, like, to an extent, like, you don't get to make that decision. For I mean, you have to show up and do your job. But... Um, but, capitalism. But like, I mean, I do argue like if your job feels like all work and no life, then if you're not okay with that, then or if it's if it's not detrimental to the point of like I have to get out of here, then yeah, I say start that process of finding somewhere else to work that will you know fill you and give you energy and give you life and. I mean, I like I have a good work example though of where I was able to decide whether or not that balance was worth it, and um, so when people in our patrol are going want to at least attempt and apply to promote, um, they go through this entire process, and part of that process is they are asked to write an essay around certain topics, and. Karen's very well versed with my feelings on this because (laughs) (laughs) I told her all about it. But um, I was really proud of the fact that the essay that they had to write, the questions were all centered around defund the police. And the question essentially was, um, what do you think defund the police means from the perspective of the public who uses it? And how, as an agency, do we listen to the community in this time and engage in meaningful ways to make the changes that we can make? And some of those essays gave me life. (laughs) Uh, And some of those essays made me want to throw my computer across the room, you Mm -hmm. know? And so it was one of those things where I really had to stop for a moment and say, you know what, this is your opportunity to use your voice in recommending or not recommending someone 
be promoted. Um, you know, like you, you are one voice in this process, but you have a voice. So you can either say, this is too much work and it's not worth it and give that voice to somebody else or budget your time. Like split, like don't read all of them in a day because you know, you don't have the capacity to do that. Cause I gave real and thoughtful feedback. And I think that's the part that was life giving is saying, you know, you feel like it's worth throwing your name in the hat. And if that's really the path that you want to take, then because I am saying, yes, let me weigh in on this, then I owe it to you to tell you feedback that helps you be better. And I did not mince words in my feedback. Like it wasn't cruel or anything like that, but it also was direct and clear. And as the Queen BB says, mm-hmm. clear is kind. And mm-hmm. um, I, that is one of those moments, though, where I had to decide whether or not the work involved was worth the payoff in the energy it did or didn't give. Because it certainly was an ebb and flow of like, I'm so tired <laughs> reading this response and balancing that with, but it's worth being able to tell someone, here's a perspective you might want to consider if what you want to do is take a position that requires you to broaden and widen your perspective. Yeah, I could see how that would be really, some of them would be really not life-giving yeah. the opposite <laughs> like, I, I get the pleasure lay of your head on the desk too. yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it's just part of the, the learning process you're part of the learning process for people and sometimes yeah. they have to go around the mountain a few times fascinating mm-hmm. I love that I love that your insight on this though I think um I've gotten a lot out of that that is it work or is it life-giving there's some things that are just so fun to keep creating and yeah. other things that you're just like, why do I have to keep doing this? Like I would put any amount of work needed into doing the podcast because it's so fun. You know, the payoff is like, I think the thing that I love about it so much is the collaboration. Like I love sitting down with someone I love very much and whose perspective I value so, so, so much and who sees things so differently and the it's this combination of creativity, collaboration, and really nerdy research. <laughs> it's like the trifecta. <laughs> no, I love it because that's also, I think that's perfect for a podcast because you want people to give you something new mm-hmm. and to not waste your time. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've said it on our podcast before here. Like, we are friends. We have a lot of things in common. We have a lot of beliefs that are in line with one another, but we also have things that aren't always in line and aren't always the same. And we can always learn from one another and that, you know, it's fun to just hang out with your friends, but when you pick a topic and you have a focus and you're really spending time thinking about something and, and having like a real conversation, it, it is, it brings life and it's like, Oh, this is good stuff. Yeah. Cause it's, it really comes down to like in some way those conversations help you grow. Yeah. As a person who really hates small talk, I think this was like created for me because I'm like, I don't care what the weather is. Let's talk about like the the good stuff. Let's let's get deep. Let's talk about the important things and the 
I know? always, uh, I always joke that I'm physically allergic to small talk. Yes. I'm like, don't, it'll kill me. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's really, small talk is really hard for me. Ugh. Amen, sister. The one thing that I think I want to know is if there's any misconceptions about your job or I know your management. Sure. I have misconceptions about management. I know I hate the concept <laughs> completely of managing people, but whether it's management or dispatch, is there any kind of misconceptions? Um, I can speak to both of them. Uh, for 911 dispatch, we do not just automatically know where you are. Oh. Even if you're calling 911, like we do not have like this, like, hairline pinpoint on where you are um the way that the technology works currently is it's all about triangulating your positions so we have to retransmit that signal typically and then it will give us a radius of where you are and sometimes it's very accurate like it'll tell us oh within six meters this is where they're at and we can say oh are you at this address and they're like yep that's where i am uh, there is third-party software, not to be incredibly boring, but there is third-party <laughs> software that works to me. just like how Uber uh, works in terms of like that geo-locating software. And so that third, it's really cool because that third-party software um, is free for law enforcement or for emergency services. So we can go the additional step, pull up that program, plug in your phone number, and kind of wait for it to hit that server. And then that will tell us where you are. But um, we don't just automatically know where you are. <laughs> and according to the movies, dispatchers get, like, super involved in calls and, like, start investigating things. And <laughs> like, no, we don't. <laughs> We're too busy handling the next call. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the number one misconception with 911 dispatching um also just so people are aware a decommissioned phone like some a phone that no longer has cell service uh by federal mandate they are still required to be able to uh call 911 so like letting your kid play with a phone like it will dial 911 if you don't have if it's not dead or the battery isn't removed cuz what phones have batteries that are removable anymore right and if 911 ever calls you and says, yeah, this is 911. We just missed a call from this number. Like we didn't make it up. We didn't just like search your phone number and randomly try to call you. Like you called us. You didn't mean to, <laughs> but you probably pocket dialed us. Does that happen a lot? Oh, I, I, would, I would venture a safe guess that a quarter of our calls are, par are pocket dials to 911. Oh Gosh, what a waste of your like time. Like, it's a safe, safe bet. And you have to call every single yeah, one we back have to, call to make back. sure they're okay. Because we want to make yeah. sure that you really are safe, or if you're not, that we can get you help. Dude, cell phones are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so be glad we can't get your location. Seriously. No, I'm Right at that point. Oh, my goodness. I didn't, know, I didn't realize it was that much. I, but uh, there's so much more cell phones. There's so many more cell yeah. phones out there. And little kids always have their hands on an old one, it seems. Yeah. If you were to call from that uh, archaic thing called a landline, <laughs> that I does. Think my mom still has that one does of those. give us your physical location. But if it's from a cell phone, it's it's not immediate. For management, I guess the misconception would really be far more to people who work with me. Like unless I mean you have you say like you don't 
love the world of management. So I mean, I I've never done it. I don't love in the concept same, of management. Also in that same boat is just, um, honestly, I'm not out to get you. I'm not a bad guy. Like I actually see my number one role as a management manager, not manager, because <laughs> it's tie between management and manager. Is I see myself as your advocate. Um, I like it sounds cheesy, but I wholeheartedly believe I work for them. They don't work for me. And um, part of that, though, support for sure is the accountability piece. Like, yes, I am the person who might be sitting down with you on Tuesday and handing you a letter of suspension without pay. I'm also the person who on Thursday shows up to the class I required you to be in so that you didn't feel weird being in there alone. Aww. And we'll be going to the other 11 classes with you too. <laughs> Just because um, I think it's important to, it's important to me for that person to know, like, you put me in this position to have to hold you accountable, but I also owed it to you to talk in very clear terms about the path you were taking yourself down and that that path would end up with you no longer being employed. But that's a turning point. Like we can have this conversation and we can never have it again because you have all of my support and what you need to fix things and to take a step off that path. Let's start a new one. And so even though I, I, I hate, hate, hate the discipline aspect of my job, but I also know I signed up for it. And since I have to do it, I might as well make it meaningful and a, an opportunity to be better instead of just that's the asshole who handed me this letter and you know just swoops in every time somebody's got to be disciplined like I think it's important to engage in all of the supportive ways and now you know why I wanted to go work for her I'm not yeah. the bad guy <laughs> it's true I mean that really makes a difference though like actually discipline with the with love with heart behind it it is it's really hard that's the reason why it is it is so hard is because i see the human being sitting across from me and i'm like i am about to shit on your world but <laughs> um but i'm not doing this to you like really you've you've done this to yourself and i have the unfortunate um job of being the messenger but like let's let's do this together let's be better and um i think that's what makes the difference for sure that's amazing i love that perspective and i don't think it's very common i mean i would say that is probably management that's probably not everyone's i mean maybe i don't know i've never been in management you either huh <laughs> i mean i i have worked i could actually speak to the people who held my position prior to me um, they are the reason why being the manager was never on my radar. Mm. Um, so my boss swooped in and saved us uh, and was the interim manager. She just like occupied that position until somebody else came along and we were in a healthy enough space as a dispatch center to transition that role to somebody she trusted. But I mean, the managers prior to me are like never ever did I think I would occupy that space because they did it so poorly. <laughs> <laughs>
It makes a difference, though. It like, it really makes a difference who's managing you. Um, yeah, they could really help you grow and become a better person, or you could just end up being miserable. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's easy to just get burnt out when you're managing people. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what makes you, like, crazy, is you end up being a bad leader at that point, because you're burnt out. Mm-hmm. You're being pulled in 15 different directions and being probably st- told things to do that aren't really in your purpose. Like, don't really feel like that's your purpose of your work. And so then it's yeah, it's easy to just be burnt out and then rage at everybody. Uh, did we cover everything? Do you have anything else you want to tell us about being a emergency department manager or a podcast host or a Naki? <laughs> or a <knocky. laughs> um I think just the for myself personally I think the biggest challenge right now I won't call it a struggle but it's a really uncomfortable place to be where there is so much division along the line of law enforcement right now because I am the person who sits in my law enforcement office with the Black Lives Matter sticker on my wall um, and I love that about myself <laughs> <laughs> because um, I can say I work for an agency who is trying to do all of the right things. Like genuinely, I can say that. Um, but it is really difficult because if you asked me to take sides, I don't think my employer would be happy with the side I selected. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I don't believe it's sides. Like I think it is. I think really and truly it's about seeing the humanity in one another. And I think, I think for sure we have work to do on our air quotes side in terms of law enforcement. Um, And some of that is transparency and being willing to talk about, you know, one of the things I said in, in feedback to one of those essays was, you know, we talk about, we need to be transparent and educate the community on what we're doing. And I said, transparency doesn't mean anything if it's centered around education. Like, meaning, like, let me educate you on all the things you do. Like, trans- like people aren't going to give a shit if we don't just shut up and listen first, you know, and really attempt to hear people. You know, all conflict centers in see me, hear me, know me, if I don't feel seen, if I don't feel heard, and if I don't feel known or understood, then that's going to create a sense of conflict. And I think it's our job as public servants to listen to our community, make them feel heard, make them feel seen. And while there will be compromises from each side, like I don't, I don't know what that looks like. I can't speak on behalf of somebody who runs an entire organization versus I'm just somebody who runs a cog in that will. But um, I just think it's important as people who naturally are set up to be leaders and enforcers in a community to see the humanity in others. Because if we come from a place of dehumanization, we are never going to fix any of the issues of like, use of force that might be excessive or, you know, and I'm, I'm proud to say we don't have that in my specific agency. Like we watch for that. And, um, I just don't think, I don't think we will solve any 
problems in any of these really large arenas if we don't start by seeing each other as humans. There's another mic. Boom. Another mic. <laughs> We're running out of mics. Threw this headset <laughs> off too. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. I have nothing to add. <laughs> right? That's so good. It's so good because I think we're all at it. We're all at a crossroad, really. You know, there's a there's a crossroad happening even where I work where it's like I see things happening. Why aren't we talking about it? Yeah. You know, and it's it's it is it is an important time and it it, it has always been an important time. But people are watching. Yeah. More than ever before. And they want everyone to be doing the right thing. And the right thing is always the hard thing. Always. She's throwing her headset off, too. I know. Seriously. <laughs> I have nothing good to say <laughs> now. I'm just going to leave. <laughs> Karen, stay. So, uh, rapid fire question. Yeah, we could do that. Oh, yeah. Let's go from really, really deep to oh, no, it's the hot pretty seat. shallow. Good. I know now we we just walked we just like solved so many problems with just like an ohm and now it's like so what kind of cookie do you like? <laughs> really? I mean they're not that shallow. No, I was like, I is mean, that a real question? No. You ready for this? I think so. You start. All right, I'll start. If you could give yourself one piece of advice on your 18th birthday, what would it be? To lean into the things that make you different instead of running away from them. If you could choose to do any job for just one day, what would it be? Just one day? Mm -hmm. I'd be a tattoo artist. <gasps> Ooh, Ooh, that'd be fun. Would you give me a tattoo? Yes, hopefully after that one day, it would fade. <laughs> <laughs> it's a magical tattoo. I guess there's a part of it where you, was here. you come in with all of the talent needed just for one yeah, day. That, yeah, okay. yeah. Then yeah. Okay. What is a skill you wish you had? Baking. <laughs> oh. What would you bake? Everything on the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> oh, it's the yes. one show I watch. You make a good sponge. <laughs> Well, what is your motivation for working hard? Um, honestly, just how shitty it would feel to not work hard. Um, just knowing like that I gave my best or that I'm at least doing the work. Uh, I would feel horrible. I, I, yeah, I would just feel horrible if I didn't work hard. It just doesn't jive with my personality. And my boss is my best friend, so I wouldn't want to bring any, like, kind of shitstorm down on her. <laughs> what is your favorite thing about your career? My favorite thing about both dispatching and being a manager is uh, taking chaos and controlling it. Like, as a dispatcher, that's definitely way more centralized and specific to, like, oh, shit, hit the fan on this call, so... I'm the point of contact, like I'm the hub of communication in this thing, but it looks very different as a manager, but oh man, I love chaos as long as I can manage it. It's mischief my favorite, managed. favorite thing. Yes, mischief managed. <laughs> What's your biggest complaint about your job? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know that it's a complaint, but the hardest thing to do is discipline. Fair. That sucks. 
If money was no object, what would you do all day? I'd podcast all day. <laughs> <laughs> I would podcast, I would read, and I would work out. And I'd learn to bake. There you go. There we go. There you go. <laughs> if you were a superhero, what power or powers would you have? Oh, see, my answer is going to be so much worse than... <laughs> There's it? no right or wrong oh, answer. it's mind control. Oh. <laughs> Wait, she loves chaos, but she wants mind control. Ooh. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Hmm. I would do mind control. Okay. I'd try to use it responsibly, but... But you're a Slytherin, so... I'm a Slytherin, so... <laughs> <laughs> you're scary. That's scary. <laughs> that would be scary. She is not scary, but that superpower mixed with that Hogwarts house is a little terrifying. Mm, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking me in the eye anymore. <laughs> Otherwise, if I went with something less... Uh, manipulative and harmful to everyone uh no. that's like a super potentially i power. would just i would have immortality but like you don't like you get to select the age that you stay at Ooh. i'd live forever but i wouldn't want to live forever as like a 90 year old person oh sure 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 um what was your favorite subject in school uh math ew i love math <laughs> even now i love math that was yours too? No. Oh. Obviously, I'm a Spanish teacher. I know. That's why I looked at you for I like math. I wasn't bad at it. Yeah, I wasn't either. It's just an automatic response from an English major. I'm supposed to say that I hate math. <laughs> All right, final question. If you had a warning label, what would yours say? You cannot out-stubborn her. <laughs> <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> oh, man. No, thanks. I'm good. <laughs> I got one of those at home. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for being our guest here on the Working Folk Podcast. Do you want to share where listeners can find you on like social media and stuff? Sure. Um, I mostly just have Instagram because it's not all that much work and it gives me life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, at Brolin DeShane. So it's B R O L A N D D E S. C-H-A-I-N. And then also for my podcast, Filtered Through Fiction, it's uh, filtered, F-I-L-T-E-R-D, and then through is T-H-R-U, and then fiction, F-I-C-T-I-O-N. <laughs> and also there's a filteredthroughfiction.com. Hell yeah. Her personal one is um, tagged in the Working Folk podcast Instagram too, because I she's been given credit for the music that she wrote for us so you can find her there and and if you get the if you get the reference in my personal instagram handle then we'll be friends forever um we are on instagram as well working folk podcast and working folk podcast.com as of recording I, none of us have taken up the facebebook <laughs> uh I don't know. Too I just much is work. trash, I man. Just hate I hate Facebook, Facebook. man. Mm -hmm. I hate it. I'm kind of sad I started the Facebook page because now I feel like a failure for not keeping it up, but it is what it is. It doesn't bring me life. There you go. Instagram does. So there you go. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Naki, for being here. Thank you, Jenna. 
Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for nice meeting you. It's nice to meet you. Oh. <laughs> now you're stuck with me as a friend forever. Oh, because yeah. you can't out stubborn me. Yes. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs>